lift him up this morning. Because he is worthy of our praise. Not to us, 
not to us, but to your name. We lift up all praise, not to us, but to your name. We lift up all praise, not to us, but to stars in glory your love is like the wildest ocean oh nothing else compares Up. 
that this morning. Let me tell you a little bit about Ricky. Um, I met him through my daughter, Sarah. Sarah was uh, serving in the BSM college ministry here in Canyon. And she went on this thing called Beach Reach. Some of you have done it. Uh, So she went to Beach Reach. And when she came home, she's talking about this dude named Ricky. And I'm thinking, who's Ricky? And she's going on and on about how cool Ricky is. And I, and I had no clue. And then she got to go to his house and meet his family, which are with him today. And she's just telling me how awesome the kids are. And I asked them when they came in today, are they really that good? Or was my daughter lying to me? And they're pretty good kids. But anyways, uh, Ricky Garzon is planning a church. Um, he's a part of a, a, the Redeemer Network. And their team has been getting together and planning for months already. Um, so I met him a little over a year ago. And we've been just partnering with him, praying for him, and kind of resourcing them where we can. Um, and one of the things that they asked him to do was to fill in the pulpit a little bit and to get, get some practice in, right? Because he's going to be doing it a lot. And, uh, and we tried to do that before COVID hit. In fact, you heard me announce it a few times. Well, here he is. And so if you would, give a very warm welcome to Ricky Garzon. Well, thank you. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. And um, thankful to Shane and the leadership of the church uh, for trusting me to preach. Um, and this is not, there's nothing special about the, this podium. There's nothing special about the stage. But there is something very special that comes from it. Um, and uh, the church leadership needs to guard that. And uh, not just anyone can come up here and just preach a sermon. So I thank Shane and the, the leadership for trusting me. Uh, to do that. So today is Father's Day, obviously, and I, and I am a dad. Sometimes I am bewildered that the Lord would trust me with three other lives um, because I can barely take care of myself, but that's why God gave me a wife. Um, she is not just my helper. She is the one who uh, does it all for us, um, and she works a job, and she takes care of the kids, and she takes care of me. She laughs at my jokes. Um, so that's, uh, that's a high calling for my wife. So what can I say this morning to encourage dads? Uh, maybe I can compliment their dad jokes. I've heard some good ones. Uh, maybe I can compliment their white sneakers and their long tube socks. Uh, maybe a good compliment would be one of, uh, you know, seeing their lawnmower and seeing how pristine and how clean it is. Maybe the way they grunt when they light the grill this afternoon. Maybe compliment the way they listen or offer a shoulder to cry on or do the dishes after a long day at work. But what can I say to you to encourage you this morning if your dad maybe just wasn't there? Or maybe he was there, maybe he just wasn't a good dad. 
What do I say to you to encourage you this morning if the word dad conjures pain in your heart or maybe some anxiety deep down inside of you or maybe a feeling of inadequacy when you hear the word dad? Or what if you've longed to be a father and that time just hasn't come and the opportunity just seems to be slipping away? No matter where we find ourselves this morning, whether you are a dad or you have kids that here in the church that you like to fist bump and and hug and, and encourage, I'm hoping that the word of God this morning will be the balm for our wounds, whether we've been wounded, whether we're just here this morning because our wife made us come. Whatever it is, I hope that the word of God can encourage us this morning. So if you would, turn to Luke chapter 15. I'm going to look at a, um, a familiar story. If you've spent any time in church, this would be a familiar story to you. You might have learned um, in Bible study or Sunday school. Uh, things of that nature, but we're going to look at uh, the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. I won't read all of it, but I am going to read a few verses. But as we look at this story, at these parables that Jesus tells, this last story is one of my favorites. Um, And in the first couple of verses, in verses 11 and 12, we see that Jesus paints this word picture for those who are listening. And remember, those who are listening are the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the sinners, the tax collectors. And don't forget, we are the hearers as well. We're listening in on this story that Jesus is telling. And it says, a man has... There's a man in this story, and he has two sons. So what makes him a father? The fact that he has two sons. And the very first words we hear from one of the characters in the story is, Dad, I wish that you were dead. Look with me, if you will, in Luke 15. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, what we need to know about this, if you look back in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17, we see that God institutes the law here. And he says, if you have an older son, a bigger part of the portion that when you die goes to him so that he can take care of the family. So the younger son, he got a portion of what was coming to him. But what he's saying here in the text is, is that, Dad, I want what's coming to me when you die. So I wish that you were dead, is really what he's saying. So if you know anything about this story, the father does not object to the younger son. He gives him his share of property. And the rest of the story is that he goes and he squanders it on reckless living. And you can imagine for yourself, even from from what Jesus says, the things that he squanders the property on. And he finds himself, this younger son finds himself in the middle of a famine with no way to get money, no way 
to make ends meet. So you're hearing this story from the point of view of, of Jewish people. And people are listening in, and they, they're, they're listening for certain things, especially the religious leaders. And they're always trying to catch Jesus on something. And it says that, the text says that he goes and he hires himself out to a pig farmer. Now, if you know anything about uh, Jewish people, is that they, they believe that swine and pigs are unclean. But it says here, in the, Jesus is telling this story, and he says that he hires himself out to a pig farmer who would have been a Gentile, and those two parties didn't mix. Hires himself out to a pig farmer, and he goes and starts to feed the pigs. And the story goes on, and it tells us that he comes to his senses. And he, he prepares this speech. In verses 19 and 20, he says, surely if I go to my father and I tell him, hey, just hire me out as a servant, hire me out as a slave, and just maybe I can work my way back in to the family. Look, if you will, at verses 19 and 20 and see part of what his speech says. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now he's preparing this speech. And, and I can imagine this, this younger son as he's mis making this journey back home. Shameful, broken, hungry, tired, shoeless. And while he's still a long way off, his father sees him, and he's filled with compassion, the story says. And it says literally that the patriarch of this family, the father, the one where, where all decisions are made through him, he would take up his robe and bare his legs to the community and run to his son, filled with compassion, and throw his arms around his son. And what happens here, I love this part of the story because the father says he cuts him off mid-speech. And his, his son is like, Dad, if, if you'll just, and he says, no, no. He, said, he calls the servants near and he says, hey, bring shoes for his feet. Bring the family credit card and put it on his finger. Bring the best robe, which the best robe in that day belonged to the father. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Kill the fattened calf that we've been preparing for, for months now, for when we have family in. Kill the fattened calf, for my son has returned. He was dead, and now he is alive. He was lost, and now he is found. Something that I want you to see about what the father does when he runs to his son is that patriarchs in that day did not run. They paid people to run for them. And he, the, the Bible says that he goes and he throws his arms around his younger son. And this is important for us to see because if you look back in Deuteronomy chapter 21, that if something like this happened, a rebellious son goes off and squanders the property, that when he would come back into the fold, they would actually take him outside of town and stone him to death. The Bible says to purge the evil from among you. 
And the father goes and shields the son with his body. So that if the community was going to stone him, they would have to stone the father. That's good. We can stop and pause there and think, man, what a good dad. What a good dad he was. And we see the announcement of justification by the father. This announcement that he makes to the community saying, my son who was dead is now alive. Look at him. He was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. Look, he's back. Let's party. Let's celebrate because he's back. Lest we forget, there is an older son who got a bigger portion of the property. And in verse 28, we see that the father, they're having this party and they're celebrating. And the the older son comes and he asks the servant, hey, what's going on? And he says, your brother came back and we're having this party. And he's like, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. They're throwing a party for him even though he went and squandered all the living, all, all, all of the property. And the, the Bible says literally that the father comes out and entreats him. He comes out to him and he says, hey, your brother's back. And we see here just like the younger son, the older son has a speech prepared for his father too. He says, I stayed. I didn't go off and squander what you, what's coming to me. I didn't tell you that you're dead to me. I stayed. I stayed here and I worked for you. And you, you haven't even given me and my friends a goat to eat. But this son of yours, he doesn't even call him my brother. He said, this son of you, yours who went and squandered His portion on reckless living comes back with nothing to show for it. And you invite him back into the family? And you kill the fattened calf? You've never done anything like that for me. You see, as we see these two sons juxtaposed in this story, we see one who goes and loses himself in rebellion against the father squanders all of his living. But then we see the older son who is lost in his righteousness, who is lost in his I stayedness. I stayed. I didn't do what he did. I stayed. So what I want you to see from this story is that someone had to pay for the younger son to come back into the family. It wasn't at no cost. And the reason the older son was so upset was because he had to give a part of his property now. There was nothing to show for what he squandered, for what the younger son squandered. So now he, when his father dies, has to give a part of, his, of what's coming to him so that the younger son can come back into the family. Someone has to pay, and that person is ultimately the elder brother. Someone has to pay. So if you look at the beginning of chapter 15, you see two familiar parables here. 
And Jesus tells a story about a shepherd who loses one sheep, leaves the 99 to go and find the one, brings it back into the fold, and he says, let's celebrate. He goes on a rescue mission. Then we see this other story of this lady who who loses part of her pay and she cleans the house, turns it upside down, finally finds it. She goes on a rescue mission and she finally finds the wages that she had lost and she invites people in and she says, let's celebrate. You see, in the first two stories, we see someone who goes out to look for something. But in the story of the prodigal son, Isn't it interesting that no one goes looking for the younger son? Pastor Tim Keller, who's a pastor up in New York City, argues in his book, Prodigal God, that it was customary in this day that if something like this happened, the older brother would go and search for the younger brother. But we don't see that in this story. What we see is the older brother saying, I stayed. I'm the good guy here. But it was customary in that day for the older brother to go on a rescue mission looking for the younger brother. And Jesus just ends the story for us in verse 32 where the father says, my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. And this is the tension that I believe Jesus is setting for us here. You see, I've heard this sermon preached before, and and the pastor often says, we need to be a better older brother. We need to go out looking. Yes and amen, we do. But here's what we need to know. In Luke 19.10, Jesus says of himself, I came to seek and save that which was lost. So he leaves this tension for us at the end of Luke 15, where he says, I am the better older brother. I've come looking for you. I've come looking for you. I am the better older brother, the one who came on the rescue mission to seek and save that which was lost. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. If you ever want to explain the gospel to someone, go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And Paul lays it out for the church in Ephesus so beautifully here. And in the first three verses, Paul uses some pretty condemning language. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were doing only what your selfish desires wanted. And this is where it gets heavy says, you were by nature children of wrath. You see, if we preach the Bible, we have to preach the wrath of God. That we are sinners and we are totally deserving of the wrath of God. That he pours out his wrath on evil, on sin. And then verse 4, these two words that give us this breath of fresh air. That we we see all all this bad news in the first few verses. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and then it says, But God, 
being rich in what? In mercy. Does it say, but God being rich in wrath or in justice? It says, but God being rich in mercy. He had stored up mercy for his people. Though we are deserving of his wrath, he poured out his mercy and his grace. Paul goes on and says, by grace you have been saved. It is not by anything that we do. We are not impressive to God. We can do all the right things all throughout our lives. We can say we're the ones who stayed. And that is not impressive to God. That is not impressive to God. Look at verse 7. It says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in who? In who? Come on, church. In who? In Christ Jesus. What makes God look more glorious and more beautiful is not that he had to save us, but that he did. That makes God look glorious. That makes him all satisfying. In a way, my spouse cannot satisfy me. In the way, my kids can't satisfy me. In the way, Pastor Shane can't satisfy In the way, this world cannot satisfy me. Only God can satisfy every desire of my heart. He is the only one. He is the only one. Think about when the father says, he says it twice. He says, my son, he was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. And that's how the story ends in Luke 15. You see, he puts his son on display and he says, he sinned against me, but look, He's alive now. He's, he's found. He's part of us again, is what he says. I know a lot of you don't know a whole lot about me, but my dad is a pastor. Now he's struggling with dementia, sits in a wheelchair most of the day, has to be Spoon-fed by my mom and my nurses. An incredible man of God who preached for years and years and years and God saved him radically. And He preached and gave his life to preaching the Bible. Now I went to school here at West Texas A&M. This was back in 2000, 2001. I know that seems like forever ago. But I got into some trouble, some financial trouble when I was in college, couldn't pay my rent, couldn't pay my bills, lived with some roommates. Finally, one Saturday, I got tired of the bank calling. The bank was constantly calling our apartment. And as they called, <clears throat> I, I said, I, I just can't do this anymore. Packed up some stuff, drove home to Borger, which is just about an hour and 15 minutes away. Pulled up to my parents' house that Saturday morning. My parents were gone. 
walked into the house and the phone was ringing. And as I walked up to the phone, I looked on the caller ID. Now, if you don't know what a caller ID is, this little thing tells you who's calling. And it said the name of the bank and my heart stopped. So I did something, picked up the phone and I answered. And the lady on the other end said, Mr. Garzon, your son is in some financial trouble. He owes us this amount of money. We need someone to pay. And I said, okay. Let me give you my bank account number. And I'll give you the money. Went to my dad's desk. I knew where he kept his stuff, his banking information. Gave it to them. And they took the money out of my dad's account. Shame guilt, broken, couldn't even face my parents when they came home. They knew something was wrong. It was just a load I could not carry. A few days go by, and my mom calls. Now, if you don't know anything about Mexican moms, when they get mad, it was bad. So my mom, after she yells at me for a little while on the phone, she says, she asked me, did you take money out of your dad's account to pay a debt that he did not owe? I said, yes, I did. And I was expecting to hear, well, your dad wants to talk to you. She said, well, I overheard the conversation that he had with the bank Monday morning. And he said, well, does my son owe anything else? The bank said no, and he said, well, if he owes anything else, call me and let me know, and I'll pay. Still to this day, my dad has never said a word about what happened. Never said a word. My mom said, no, he needs to come and pay it back. He needs to wash the dishes. He needs to wash the car. He needs to pay it back. My dad said, no, I'll pay the debt. See, in that moment, my dad knew that if he gave me law, that I might run and never come back. If you need to do, you need to do, you need to do, you need to do to pay it back. But in that moment, my dad gave me grace. And it shaped me. It shaped who I am today. And you think, no, you stole the money. You're guilty. You need to pay. And my dad says, no, I paid the debt. I paid the debt that my son owed. Never said another word about it. If my my dad gave me law in that moment, I might have run and never come back. But he knew that if he gave me grace, that I might still run. But eventually, grace would lead me home. And sure enough, it did. It is one of, that story is one of the reasons that I stand at this pulpit today. Because not only the grace of my dad, but because of the grace of a father who poured out a punishment that we needed to pay on his son. In your place and in my place. On that cross, on that day, 
He paid that debt that we owed. Now, what can I say to encourage dads this morning? Or those who long to be dads? Or those who say, I don't think my dad loved me? It's to tell you that you have an eternal father who does. And that eternal father paid your debt that you owed, that I owed on that cross, on that day, paid the debt. I hope that 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 word encourages you this morning. I'll be over here after the service. Pastor Shane will be around. We'd love to talk to you. If the spirit is drawing you, do not leave this place without talking to someone in leadership. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. Let's pray together. Eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we worship you as one God. There is no one like you. All other world religions say you need to pay, you need to be good, you need to do. But you say, I'll pay the debt. I'll pay for the people who cannot pay. I'll offer them a seat at the table. God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that's still good today. Even though, Jesus, what you did happened thousands of years ago, still relevant for us today. That you made peace, you reconciled us by your blood. You defeated death, you sit at the right hand of the Father. God, we thank you. God, I thank you for this church. I ask that you would continue to give them a passion for this community. Remind them, Jesus, that you are the better older brother. You came looking for the lost, paid the debt that they could not pay. God, again, we thank you. Go with us today. Remind us. We ask not to be dismissed, but sent out. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.